Welcome to Swartz Talking Sports. I'm your host, Les Swartz. Thanks for joining us again. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving holiday. I know I did. Uh, we got a real special show for you tonight. Uh, we got a treat. We've got in the house, Benny the Book is back, ladies and gentlemen. He'd be joining us through the entire show. And our special guest for this evening, former Florida A&M great quarterback, Al Chester Sr., his son also played QB for the Rattlers, but we certainly uh, we want to make sure everyone knows it's Al Chester Sr., the guy who quarterbacked a national championship team back in 1978. We'll talk a little bit about that. So uh, tonight's show, we have a live chat going on. So hopefully whoever's uh, logging in and joining us tonight, please ask questions of Al, myself, Benny, We'll answer them throughout the show. Our amazing chat girl, Joni, is back on location, and she'll be um, asking those questions. We'll be answering them. Also, you can find our show on Spotify and Google Podcasts, and please hit that subscribe button. We're gaining subscribers every day. We're hitting a record. If we can get a couple more, we can eclipse our, our all-time record. So uh, obviously, it's huge for us. Uh, comment. Let us know how you like the show. You tell us what direction you want the show to go. That's the direction I'm going to go in. So without further ado, let's bring on Benny the Book and our special guest, Al Chester Sr. Hey, guys. Hey, Les. How you doing? Hi, Les. How you doing? I'm doing great, Benny. Thanks for being back with us. And Al, uh, great pleasure to have you on the show. We have to thank our mutual friend, Vince Coleman, for getting you on here tonight. Well, I tell you what, Vince is a special friend, always has been, a tremendous athlete, and I'm glad to be here, and uh, let's have. I'm excited about a great show. All right. Well, a special shout out to Vince. Hope he's watching in San Diego. So I want to get right to it. Where you grew up? You grew up in the Jacksonville area, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, when you were a kid growing up, you know, before you got into organized ball in high school and things, you're eight, nine, ten years old. You're playing with your buddies in the backyard, or you're going to the local high school field. Who? Who did you like? What kind of game did you emulate? Did you pattern your game after a specific player? Um, were you always a quarterback? Did you always want to play quarterback? Well, I tell you what, I was always a big Bob Hayes fan and because he was from Jacksonville and the fastest guy in the world. Bullet He's, Bob Hayes? Lived right around the corner. Yeah, he lived right around the corner from me. So, I mean, if I played receiver, I wanted to be Bob Hayes. But I had uh, several guys that I watched play quarterback, uh, to include Elridge Dickey from Tennessee State, Joe Gillum from Tennessee State, uh, Condrich Holloway, who played at Tennessee, Eddie Michan, who played at Georgia Tech, and Shaq Harris at Gramlin. And then uh, in my neck of the woods, there were two guys that I admired, Don Gaffin, who played at the University of Florida, mm -hmm. and Terry LeCount, who played at the University of Florida. So, I mean, I had uh, a, a array of guys that I, I patterned my game after and, and, and tried to take a little bit of what they did and, and, and try to fine-tune my game as I progressed in my little quarterback history. You named some amazing players, and I know that you know we had spoken earlier. You said in, in your neck of the woods, you also had amazing players that went on to the pros and had amazing success, such as Harold Carmichael, the six foot eight giant who played with the Eagles. Uh, I think he's a Hall of Famer now. You had uh, Kenny Burrow, double zero, played with the Houston Oilers, I believe. So you had some great yep. players in that area. Hey, we had a chance to to work out with those guys. They would come home during the off season. Ken Riley, who's not from Jacksonville, he's actually from Bartow, he he would come home during the offseason, and uh, a lot of myself and a lot of young guys would go out and work out with those guys, Carmichael, Randy Allen, David Thomas, Terry LeCount, uh, the Gaffney brothers, and 
And you learn a lot by just rubbing shoulders with those guys. I got a chance to throw a, a post route to Harold Carmichael as a seventh grader. And man, that was that was off the chart for me. I mean, because I we watched him play on TV. And of course, oh, yeah. Ken Riley was a defensive back. I got a chance to run patterns against him and learn a lot. And uh, they, they were all gracious guys and, and was willing to help all the young guys in Jacksonville. And as you know, we've had a boatload of guys come out of Jacksonville who've done tremendous things on the football field and baseball field uh, around the country. Now you get into high school, obviously you have tremendous success in the recruiting process. Uh, was Florida and I mean, and you've noticed here, we got the Florida name Rattlers. We, we got it hanging here proudly. We got the, I would go for the helmet, but you know, I, I didn't get it in time. I got one coming though. Uh, was Florida A&M your number one school, your only school? Were you were you being recruited by any other schools? And was was quarterback the position that you were being recruited as, or were you, you know? And we'll get into the history of the black quarterback, especially in the South, and in in some of the obstacles you might have faced. But who recruited you, and why ultimately did you end up uh, with the Rattlers? Well, I tell you what, uh, the University of Tulane actually showed a lot of interest. I I went out to New Orleans on a visit, and the University of Iowa. They both wanted me to play quarterback, or they were recruiting me as a quarterback. But uh, I wanted to be a big fish in a little pond. And uh, there were so many friends and family and alumni from uh, Florida a and right there in the Jacksonville area. And uh, I tell you what, I, I rode up to uh, the Tallahassee in the backseat of uh, Riviera, uh, driven by uh, Dr. Solomon Badger. He was the guy that took me up there. And I tell you, when I went up there, I fell in love with the place. I felt comfortable. I felt like I was at home. And Coach Rudy Hubbard was the, the head football coach at the time. And uh, Alan Bogan, who was the offensive coordinator, he actually recruited the Jacksonville area. So it was just, uh, just a matter of time of, you know, I didn't want to get too far away from home. I wanted my parents and family and friends to see me play. And it just seemed it was a, the perfect fit. You know, sometimes uh, you can get caught up in the bright lights, but I wanted to be close to home so my folks and, and, and my family and friends could see me play. Benny, why in the world did West Virginia not go after Alchester? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> they weren't that very. You got to speak up. I can't good. hear you. You can't hear me. No. Oh. Uh, there we go. I don't know. I they probably weren't that good. He was too, <laughs> he was too much of a talent. So. Believe it or not, yeah. I think when I think when Al I think when Al came in, I think uh, I'm trying to think. I think Bowden had just went to Florida State. That's interesting. So, did you get any interest at all from any of the big schools in Florida, Al? Obviously, Coach Bowden, like I said, had gone to Florida State. Miami was starting to turn things around a little bit. Um, any interest at all from some of those schools at all? Well, at the time, I mean, uh, the Gaffney Don Gaffney was at Florida. He was getting ready to leave. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was a senior when I was a freshman. And, of course, Terry LeCount was down there. So they had some quarterback action there. I did get correspondence from all the schools in Florida to include Florida State. Bobby Bowden didn't come in until the year after okay. uh, my freshman year. But uh, University of Miami got, uh, of course, a boatload of letters. But, uh, again, wanted to be that big fish in a little pond. And I thought my best opportunity would be at Florida A&M. And uh, if I had to do it all over again, less, I'd do it the same way. Well, you had a tremendous career, and we're really going to focus on really the last two years at A&M, which were unbelievable. I mean, Ben and I were talking about it last night, 21-1 and one in two years. Uh, the one, the, the lone loss to Tennessee State, which was a team that was stacked, and, you know, they, they had future pros on that team. But to go 21-1, and one, uh, you know, won a black national championship and then followed by a 1AA. And, and let's talk about that. So you go undefeated your junior year. Um, who do you beat in the black national championship that year? 
who do you win it from? Well, actually, that that's voted on oh. for the most part in '77. We okay. we were the only undefeated team in the country, so we didn't actually play a championship game. We ran the table, went undefeated, and we only had about three seniors on that ball club. But uh, we we were coming off a six-three and two year, my sophomore year. But we had a bunch of guys, and I tell you, I had some great teammates. We weren't a real big team, uh, not super fast, a finesse team that believed in what Coach Hubbard uh, was selling. And uh, we bought it and uh, uh, had tremendous success with it. But in 77, we went undefeated, ran the table, and uh, lost three guys as we got ready to roll back into that 78 football season. And that 78 season, I actually remember watching that championship game. And I, I think it was in – I know we talked about it. It was the temperatures were freezing cold. It was uh, – was that out somewhere in, in West Te East Texas or some crazy place? Where was that game? It was in the, the Pioneer Bowl in Wichita Falls, Wichita Texas. Wichita Falls, Texas. And I tell you what, the, the previous game against Jackson State, which was the semifinal game, it was cold, snowy type weather. Uh, we got out of that game and won that game 15 to 10. But we go out to Wichita Falls. The wind was blowing. Uh, what I remember, the folks were very hospitable. Uh, the, the, the countryside over there is real flat. But it was cold and very windy. I punted, punted the ball and went back over his head. Whoa. It was uh, it was some challenges, man. I tell you, and played a great football team, and uh, we were we were fortunate to come out of there with the victory. And uh, I still say that the championship game was the Jackson State game, and had and we played University of Massachusetts in better weather. And, you know, it's easy to say that. Uh, I think it, the outcome would have been the same, and may have been just a. Uh, few points more. I was going to say, I, I think speed-wise, you guys had it all over the uh, the UMass Minutemen, and I have some UMass alum watching this game, so they might remember that game, but it was it, it seemed like watching that game, every time they kind of got close, you guys pulled away a little bit, and I know they scored late to make, to make it look like it was closer than it was, but I agree with you. If the weather was good, the footing was better, I, I think you guys beat them by three touchdowns. And, and actually, I think that was the uh, the first game that we had played on turf as well. So, I mean, there was some obstacles there. But, you know, you football team, great football teams find a way to win, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, we believed in what we were doing. Uh, we we didn't feel like uh, we would beat you. It was just a matter of how bad we were going to beat you. We felt good about who we were, played with a lot of confidence, uh, borderline cocky, if you will. But uh, I tell you what, we had, we had great players, great coaches. Salute Coach, uh, Coach Hubbard and his staff. And, and I tell you what, it's ironic. We're talking about this because 45 years ago was when we won that national championship. That's a lifetime, and a lot of my teammates have passed on. But I tell you what, I feel very fortunate to have had that opportunity. And, uh, again, I'll say it again. Uh, if I had to do it all over again, I'd do it the same way. And, and the amazing thing about that, Al, it's been 45 years. You're still, to date, the only HBCU school to win a national championship on the field in football. It's never been done. You guys were the only team to do it, and I and and I hope and and I'll talk about this later on that you guys will be recognized for that accomplishment. So, great career at Florida A and M. You guys win, you know, the national the inaugural one AA national championship. You beat UMass. Now you're getting ready and, and maybe looking at the pros. So you're a senior. Uh, what's what's the talk like? Uh, are you getting looked at right after school, or are you getting courted by any pro teams? Uh, what what teams came in to work you and some of your teammates out uh, between then and the draft? Yeah, well, back then they didn't have uh, the modern day uh, 
combine like right. they have now. The teams will come in and work you out, get your measurables, and do all the things that you do. But uh, the Cleveland Browns actually showed the most interest in me. They all already had they had Brian Sight. The backup quarterback was a guy named David Mays. He actually played at Tennessee State. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Texas Southern. He was a dentist and, and a great competitor. And uh, I felt like they were going to give me some play. I really did. They took me to dinner. And then, of course, uh, the night before the draft, I got calls from about, about 15 teams. And, of course, want to know they want to know you where you're going to be. Give me a telephone number, et cetera. I was actually interning in the public defender's office at the time. And uh, they were gracious enough to give me the days off in hopes that uh, I would get some get a, get that phone call. Mm-hmm. Phone call never came. Uh, Jet Magazine did a story because uh, they they too felt like you know we had we had earned the opportunity, earned the shot based on what we've done. And you know, you and I have talked offline. You know, how do you measure the success of a quarterback? Mm-hmm. Do you measure it by wins and losses? Do you measure it by the number of touchdown passes that he throws? Do you number by the number of yards that he passed for what what's what's actually the measurable and every year the straw man for the nfl during that time it changed you know they were looking for the big six five quarterback of course i'm not six five but uh we won football games and and that's what i thought it was all about and when you do everything you have to do at least you feel like in your heart you've done everything you can and you feel like you earn and deserve an opportunity and it doesn't come it's uh, it, it sets you back a little bit. And it was it was real challenging. I think that may have been the most hurt I've been in my life because I, I thought I'd done everything right. But it did materialize and I ended up going to Canada for for a couple of years and uh, end up meeting some great guys. Lock of mates with Terry Metcalf up there in Toronto, uh, played against and saw Warren Moon and uh, Tom Clements and Joe Barnes. All these guys played wow. quarterback. Contrast Holloway was up there at the time, but had a great time, man. And uh, and, and again, I still say if I had to do it over again, I'd do it the same way. But the opportunity for black quarterbacks just wasn't open at that time. Doug had just gone into the league the year before. Mm-hmm. In fact, when we played Gremlin in 78, uh, his brother was quarterback. He was on the sideline because he had broke his jaw uh, as a rookie with the Buccaneers. And uh, but I tell you what, it, it was it was uh, it was a challenging time, but and disappointing time. But, you know, hey. Tough times don't last. Tough people do, you know. And, and you like don't that. value you don't value a moment until it becomes a memory. And and so when I look back over everything, uh, again, I, I keep saying this: if I had to do it over again, I'd do it the same way. Well, when you went to CFL, you played against one of Benny's heroes, Tom Clemens, wasn't he Tom a Notre Clemens, Dame guy, yeah. Ben? Yes, he was a Notre Dame guy. Very uh, very good quarterback at Notre Dame, and uh, that was a surprise that he wasn't. Uh, picked by any pro teams to go, you know, but, uh, Hey, Warren moon, that, that, that that's on, that's an unbelievable story. Cause he was, he was great at Washington. How, how the pros would you wouldn't suck him right up or, you know, and put him in a spot. I mean, he's, he's a hall of famer. Well, yeah. You know, to your point, Benny, right. And, and Al, I mean, I have to bring race into this because at the time, I mean, there was certainly a racial bias against the position of quarterback for a black athlete. I mean, there has to be. I mean, Warren Moon did everything in Washington. He was not a running quarterback, which a lot of people said, well, he ran a veer. He ran the option. We don't run that in the pros. He he basically quarterbacked a pro-style offense, a pro-set offense. Two wide receivers, a tight end, split backs in Washington. Two years, 
ultra successful, wins a Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl MVP, team MVP, all pack eight at the time. They were all pack eight. How in the world does this guy not get a shot? Hey, it's unbelievable, man, when you think about uh, and he was he's a big guy, you know, Warren yeah. stands about six, three, six, four. So, I mean, he he was the prototype, right. you know, uh, yeah. I mentioned Jet Magazine. They did a story uh, after the draft on 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 myself and Phil Sims. And again, not hating on Phil Sims. He went to Moorhead State. They won two games his senior year. We won the national championship and Phil was the number one draft pick, you know, went on and had a great stellar career. Right. And uh, but you're right. I mean, the times were different then. I mean, the challenges were different. Um, I, I like to to feel like we we passed some of that. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. when you look at the league now, uh, 14 of the 32 teams have black starting quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's huge in comparison. Oh, gotcha. And uh, you know, the only team in the league that has not had a black quarterback is the New York Giants. How that happens, wow. I don't know. Wow. And then you've got three quarterbacks. You got three quarterbacks. Black quarterbacks who won Super Bowls: Doug Williams, Russell Wilson, and Mahomes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's uh, I mean, forty-five years later. I mean, that's I think that's a tremendous feat. No, it is. And and last year, it, it will obviously we'll touch on this a little bit. But last year was the first time that uh, two black quarterbacks faced each other. Uh, you know, Jalen Hurts and and Patrick Mahomes. So uh, we do have. We're going to run one more thing, and we actually have some questions uh, that, uh, from our. Uh, uh, audience out there that they're going to ask of you, or maybe well, who knows, maybe less. Benny, why is he wearing a West Virginia hat with a turtleneck in North Carolina? I don't know. We'll come up with something. But <laughs> the question 40, was, if we talked about this today. too, because it's freezing. He played golf all day, Al. Right? Forty-five degrees. Cold. Yeah, I played twenty-seven today. Um, but one of the questions, Al, that you know, we talked about the prototypical size of a quarterback. Now, back in the late '60s, okay, you had a guy that you know and you knew who he was. And the Raiders had drafted him in 1968 with a first-round pick. And they were in the AFL at the time, named Eldridge Dickey. He was a prototypical guy, big guy, had a big arm. But who in the world did the Raiders draft with the second-round pick but Ken Stabler? You know, and then they ended up moving Dickey to tight end where he kind of, you know, that that's not his game. He was a quarterback. Why didn't the Raiders give him more of a shot at quarterback? Well, you know what? I, that's the question, uh, the million-dollar question, because Eldridge Dickey, was a tremendous talent. Uh, the stories I heard about this guy, I mean, when you, when you come out and you warm up, quarterbacks have, you know, you're throwing to one side of the of the, of the the line of scrimmage there, you're throwing to, to one line of receivers. Elridge Dickey had two lines because he was ambidextrous. He could throw both left and right-handed. Then he was about 6'3", he could run, but had arm talent like you wouldn't believe. Hmm. And actually, I think he beat Kenny Stable out but uh, because he was a black quarterback, wasn't given that opportunity, and they moved in the tight end. And uh, things didn't work out for him. But he was a guy that I thought uh, had all the talent. He had everything, all the attributes, all the – everything, the, the straw man that they were looking for, the, the size, the, the arm talent. The, he could run the football as well. I mean, he could do it all. And uh, it's just unfortunate he didn't get that opportunity. But he's one of the guys – that knocked on that door to create opportunities for the guys who are playing now. And uh, you, you can't take that away from him, but Elridge Dickey, super talent. If people don't know about him, they need to do some research on this guy. This guy was, he was off the charts. I, I would think, and, and you can obviously answer this question, uh, that back in that time, in the 60s, into the 70s, even into the early 80s, it was almost like if a quarterback that was black had the opportunity it was pretty much a one-strike thing. It was like, okay, show me what you got, and, and if I don't see it today, uh, you, you've blown your chance. I mean, they didn't have multiple chances 
to, to, to play with multiple teams and, and bounce around the league. It was like kind of a one and done situation. That's what it seemed Absolutely. like to me. I, I think you're right, Les. And uh, I think Ray Charles can see that too, because that's exactly <laughs> what it was. If you got your opportunity and uh, if, if you, if you had a bad day and we all have bad days, but if you didn't show, show up and show out when you got that opportunity, that second chance may not come, probably wasn't going to come. And if you're going to hang around, you're going to have to play someplace else. Ken Riley was a hell of a quarterback at FAMU. He goes to camp. I mean, he he's the Russell Wilson of his time. He goes to camp, and they've moved him to defensive back. Now, he's always been a quarterback. He lines up. There are 15 cornerbacks. Ken oh. Riley picked off a quick out, and he's been playing cornerback ever since. And, and, you know, to this day, still top five in interceptions. I mean, and, and that's back when – you know, they only played 14 games. And they, you know? and they didn't I mean, throw the ball nearly as much as they do now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, yeah. when you think about the, the opportunities, uh, at the, the short windows that we had back then, and even shorter, uh, it, it, the big thing is just getting an opportunity. Right. And that's all we ever asked for. Just give me a shot mm -hmm. and give me a fair shot. And, and you know, let, let's let, let it play out. Let's see how it plays out. Well, let's go. We, we do have some questions, so let's go for one question right now, and Joni is going to ask that question. All right. We've got a question from Michael, and I think it was prompted by an earlier conversation you and Al were having last. Um, Al, why do you think the phone call never came? Well, you know what? Um, I think that uh, because of the the state of the, the league at the time, that uh, opportunities for black quarterbacks just weren't there, you know, and and uh, I'm not sure. I, I wish I knew uh, because it, that would help me uh, as I process. I mean, obviously, I have to warm up to put my clothes on now. But I mean, back then I was ready to go and, and was ready uh, based on what I had accomplished, felt like I had deserved and earned an opportunity. It didn't come. Uh, why it didn't come? I wish I knew that answer. I mean, that that's a million dollar. That's a million-dollar question. Uh, thanks for the question, Michael. Let's go to a second question. Okay. Tech for Fun asks, talent is only part of what makes a great team. What traits does the team have have to have to win? Hmm. Did you get that, Al? No, she needs to talk up just a yeah, little bit so, more for me. Uh, talent is only part of what makes a great team. <laughs> what traits does a team have to win besides just being talented? Well, you know, it's a chemistry that that, that that a football team has. It's a special unit in chemistry. Each Every team is the direct reflection of their head coach. They take on the personality of their head coach. And it's it's a matter of everybody being on the same page, unity. Uh, they don't have to necessarily have to like each other off the field. But when you get between the lines, it's all about us and we. And we we, we try to get it done that way. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about in any sport. Uh, yeah. when, if you want to be successful, it's got to be unity. It's got to be trust. And uh, and obviously, you got to have talent. But I mean, that, that team concept, the team unity and trust is built. And that, that's what drives the train to success. Good you know, preparation. Victory yeah. loves preparation. And, and you got to have all of that. You know, and, and I think that what we shared in, in 78 was a 10, 77 and 78. We believed in what the coach was selling. And at the same time, there was a lot of trust and understanding and unity on that ball club because I'm, I'm going to take care of this guy next to me. I'm going to do my job. And I remember being in the huddle a lot of times telling guys, now, if you can't, if you're not going to get your guy 
then get off the field because I'm going down the score with or without you. And the guys understood that. And it, it became it became second tier. I mean, we, it was just automatic. We, we put that thing in automatic. And like I said, it wasn't a matter if we were going to win. It was a matter how bad we were going to beat you. That's confidence, and that's why you went 21-1 and in those two years. So before we go to uh, the third question real quick, I just want to let everyone know out there, the chat box is open, so keep them coming. Let's keep the chat coming. Let's keep the questions rolling. Uh, before we even move forward, I want to bring up, I want to have my, my, my crack producer, Tony, put up this really great graphic that he put together, and this is the milestones of black quarterbacks, uh, some of the amazing milestones that have gone on through the years back in the early 70s from the first black quarterback to play. And here it is right here. So you know a lot of these guys, obviously, Al. I mean, first first quarterback to win a Super Bowl, you know, your buddy Doug Williams with the Redskins. Um, Absolutely. First, first quarterback uh, in a pro football game to start was Marlon Briscoe with the Bills, who actually went on and played wide receiver with the Miami Dolphins in the undefeated 72 season. Um, you know this gentleman very well as well. I mean, you know, you know all these guys. I, I think Sandy Stevens was maybe the only guy that maybe a lot of people don't know who was the first guy to win a national championship at Division One level with the University of Minnesota. Yeah, Sandy, I, I was two years old when Sandy did that, so I, I don't know. Him. <laughs> I wasn't born. <laughs> but but it, I tell you what, that's, that's a tremendous list right there, man. And when you think about their accomplishments. I mean, Marlon Briscoe, I mean, obviously Doug, I mean, when, when, I mean, my history with Doug goes back to uh, uh, the Black College All-Star game in 78. Of course, he, he was a rookie with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We played that game in New Orleans and uh, I hurt my knee and I couldn't play in the game, but he came by and uh, took me, we went to McDonald's and I met his, his first wife. We went to a basketball game, but I was on crutches, but I mean, it was, it's, it's almost like family, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the quarterback fraternity if you will is, is strong and uh, i mean we still talk uh, even today and uh, even when my son was playing he would he would call me and tell me about the things that he saw him do and so forth and and likewise with his son who's now uh, a coach with the new orleans saints but uh uh joe gillum and eddie michan shaq harris i mean shaq when shaq was here with the jaguars he and i had a chance to chat a little bit as well so Tremendous uh, list right there. Great accomplishments, and you can't you can't beat that with a stick. No, we've got some great comments. People are popping up the comments, so keep them coming. Uh, a, a, a quarterback that I really wanted to get your take on because this guy was uber talented. I mean, you want to talk about a buggy whip arm? You know, a, bug, a buggy whip arm who could throw the ball seventy yards on a dime is uh, Joe Gillum, who played with the Steelers and. A little known fact is the first year that the Steelers won their, you know, in 1974, when they won their initial Super Bowl, the starting quarterback in game one was not Terry Bradshaw. Uh, Jefferson Street, Joe Gillum had beat out Bradshaw and and he was the starting quarterback. So and we actually have more questions, too. This is great. All right. We're going to keep coming. But your take on Joe Gilliam and, and kind of what type of quarterback he was. And, and unfortunately, you know, it, it didn't work out in Pittsburgh and Bradshaw went on to a Hall of Fame career. But your impressions of Joe Gillum. Well, I tell you what, he came behind Eldridge Dickey, and Joe Gillum was the gospel truth, man. I mean, this guy was probably – he had the sweetest arm, and, and he threw a ball that uh, that you, you don't see all the time. I mean, I think Warren Moon throws the, the tightest spiral I've seen, but Joe Gillum could spin it, man. He could make it happen. He looked good doing it, and he had a lot of style with his play, and I think that's what I liked about him. I mean, he showcased – his style. I mean, he was the guy wearing the long white socks and the white shoes, and he yeah. was the the Broadway Joe, if you will, 
uh, of his time. But I mean, the guy was a tremendous quarterback and uh, short of his, uh, his indiscretions, if you will. I mean, I think he was probably amongst the best to ever do it. All right. And I remember him in number 17. You're right. He did. He looked the part and his arm was fantastic. And it's just unfortunate. I know, I know they played the Raiders in that first game and, and they just got crushed and Chuck Noll decided to go another way. It just didn't work out uh, in that game in that season. But he did back up during the season and he's got a Super Bowl ring with the, with the uh, Steelers in their initial uh, Super Bowl run. But we're going to go to one more question. And then what I'm going to do is because we've got a bunch backed up, we'll go to a commercial break. And then we're going to come back with more questions uh, with Al. But let me get one more question in here. And Joni, let's ring up question number three. All right. Listener Michael asks, do you have any resentment? Do you have any resentment, Al, resentment. at all towards the game? No, or? no I, I tell you what, you know what? I think that, uh, you know, life is like a book. You know, you move from one chapter to the next. Maybe. And uh, my journey is the journey that was designed for me. Uh, I don't hold any resentment or grudges against anybody. Mm-hmm. What I do is I pull for the guys who are playing now. They always ask me, who's your favorite team? Well, you show me where a black quarterback is, that's my favorite team. Wow. And if they, they both are playing, I'm expecting and I'm pulling for both of them to play well. But in my heart, I'm, I'm way beyond that. Uh, I was hurt and disappointed back in the 70s mm-hmm. when I didn't get the opportunity. But I realized quickly that, uh, you know, God has ordered my steps. And that just wasn't a journey for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this thing out with uh, play the hand I've been dealt. I mean that's all I can do. But uh, I I look forward to seeing young guys play and the guys who are playing now and enjoy watching them play. Well, the, the biggest thing, Al, and, and you've talked about it earlier today in the show is is all you want is an opportunity, right? You know, you just deserve the opportunity. You go in, you make the best of it. If it doesn't work out, whatever the situation is, hey. At least I got a shot, right? I just don't think it's fair if you're not giving that opportunity, right? You don't have that shot. You've got the potential, and you never had an opportunity to show it on the field. And I think that's a travesty because God knows how many players would have been back in the 70s or early 80s or 80s. Warren Moon, and and he had a great career in Canada, and you saw him play in Canada. I think he won five uh, Grey Cups uh, in six years with the Edmonton Eskimos. But the bottom line is the guy deserved to go to the NFL, Day one, he should have been a first or second round draft pick as a quarterback. I mean, there's no debating that. And then and then he has to prove it, go to the NFL, and then comes back and puts up miraculous numbers with the Houston Oilers and, and goes to the Hall of Fame. I mean, why did he have to wait six years? You know, maybe that's a question we should, we should ask Warren if we ever get him on the show. But uh, I want to come back with more questions. Uh, if you can hang out with us for another 10 or 15 minutes. I'm there. Awesome. We got more questions with Al Chester. We got Benny the Book in the house. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Swartz Talking Sports. I'm Les Swartz. Great show. Loving it so far. We got Al Chester in the house. Al Chester Sr., not junior. Former Florida A&M quarterback. Great national championship in 1978. 1AA over UMass. And Benny the Book. And we're going to go uh, later on in the show. Benny's going to show us his picks for the upcoming college and pro game. Benny, uh, two and two last week. Not a bad week, Benny. You're still up. Mm, still up. I have a question for Al. Go ahead. I, li- I like. What do you think uh, about Jalen Hurts? Because here was a here was a guy that he he's got the mental makeup. You know, he's he's committed. You know, he 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 wants to improve his craft. He was thrown away so many. You know, like push, pushed aside so many times, but. He had the attitude and the uh, 
the fortitude to just say, listen, I'm going to get, I'm going to get an opportunity. I'm going to make the best of it. And I think he's a, an amazing quarterback for what he went through. I mean, sat, sat down in the national championship game and he didn't, he didn't sit and pout. That's a problem with a lot of, a lot of players. They, uh, they, they, they're selfish. He's not a selfish, you know, like you said, what makes, what makes a great team? Selfishness destroys a team. If you have a bunch of players that are just worried about, like you said, we all w- w- worry about each other. You got to do your job. Uh, I think uh, Jalen Hurts is a perfect example of that. I think, I think he may get a Super Bowl win this year. I, I tell you what, when you, when you talk about competitor, he is the ultimate competitor. And, and like you said, I mean, he has some ups and downs, but he has the intestinal fortitude and the mental toughness to work through all of that. He, he just refused to be uh, kept away, kept right. out. I mean, he, yeah. he was going to be as great as he could push himself to be, and the opportunity was there for him, and he took advantage of those opportunities. He owned his, his passing skills. They talked about he couldn't throw the football as accurate right. as Tua in college, and then he, he worked on that, went to Oklahoma, lit it up over at Oklahoma, and, and of course, you see what he's doing yeah. in Philadelphia. He got He's getting a big check <laughs> every Tuesday, and it's, <laughs> it's not because he's playing quarterback, it's because he's playing great quarterback he's being he's a great quarterback and he's getting it done a young guy who is a tough and he's about as tough as it comes man the guy played hurt the other night Mm -hmm. and uh but i admire him man and i think you're gonna see a lot of jalen hurt uh in the days to come years to come as well and i agree i think super bowl is right around the corner from him he's that kind of competitor that's the kind of that's the kind of drive you want guys like jalen hurt on your football team at every position at every position. How about That'll this? Yeah. It. How That'll about a Super a Bowl team. winner this year and league MVP? Because right now, he's the front runner for the MVP. You're right. The guy has a uh, first half against Buffalo. It wasn't working. You know, his passes, it wasn't connecting with his receivers. He had a statistically bad half, comes back, lights it up in the second half, makes the plays. He's a playmaker. He makes those winning plays. He might, yeah, you know, uh, you know, three or four passes in a row don't look good, but guess what? When it's third down and nine and they need the pass, he completes it. He makes that run. He's so dangerous with his with his feet. You know, it's like you're covering these receivers forever, and it breaks the play breaks down, and he's gone, and he's tough to bring down. I'll tell you, Al and Benny, he's a big, big quarterback, and he can run, and he is not easy to take down one on one. Well, Les, I'm gonna tell you one of the things that uh, that I've learned about him. Uh, he is a weightlifter, man. He may be one of the strongest guys on his football team. Mm-hmm. I think his father is a weight trainer. Or he, he does something mm-hmm. with weights or bodybuilding or something, but it's, it's his son has picked up that trait. And, and the reason part of his success is because the guy's in super shape and he's tremendously country strong, man. I tell you what, he's a tremendous athlete. Yeah, I, I remember seeing some clips when he was at Alabama in the weight room. Uh, doing some squats. He was like squatting 600 pounds or something. Him and Derrick Henry were going at it to see who could break the record. And I'm like, for a quarterback to squat 600 plus pounds? Benny, I couldn't roll that with my car attached to it, okay? So that's pretty impressive stuff. Let's go to another question. Okay, we've got some, we've got some great dialogue going on in the chat box. So I'm going to read some questions, but I also want to read some of the comments because they're very good. Yeah, we're going to read some comments. Uh, Joni, if you could just speak up a little bit. Oh, sorry. sorry. That's my fault. <laughs> it's you never your fault. Me? Come on. All right. Uh, Gary asks, you have a great career background, Al. How did your background as a football player help shape your career? Mm. 
Well, I tell you what, it's interesting that uh, you should say that because I was always taught that football is the game of life. You know, you get knocked down, you have successes, you, you're going to lose. You got to learn how to work through all of that. Uh, in my second career, I was uh, a, a federal agent with the uh, with NCIS, and I did that for 20, 22, 23 years and uh, had a chance to travel around the world and see the world and go places that I never would have under normal circumstances. And to that, I'm grateful for that. But I think that football allowed me or gave me the opportunity from a, from a mindset standpoint to be able to work and adjust and, and check off, if you will, at the line of scrimmage when I got in situations where where I was uncomfortable. I mean, and uh, it's just it's something that's just been a part of me from from being organized, being uh, uh, taking care of business. I mean, the whole piece, the full gamut of what's expected of a football player, especially at quarterback, being prepared and uh, preparing for the next opponent. I mean, that's how life is. I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably uh, a little anal right now because I always think about what, 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 what I've got to do the rest of this week. I mean, how's my day going to be tomorrow? And I haven't even got through the, today, but I mean, it's, gotcha. it's, that's what life is all about. And I think that football is the game of life and it teaches you all of those things, uh, especially when it comes to winning and losing, bouncing back, uh, getting hit, got to get back up, you know, and and, uh, and being able to be successful and then be able to share that with others. Perseverance, perseverance. I, Absolutely. Uh, great, great question, Gary. And I know before we ask some more questions, Joni, I know there's some really good comments that I'm catching out of the corner of my eye. There's been some great comments. Maybe you can read a few of those. Yes, I would love to. Um, Tech for Fun says, NFL is a business. And I wonder how many conversations happened in boardrooms saying, Will America like a black quarterback? Let's not risk it. Basically, inherent racism. You know something? That's a great comment. And and I think, you know something, Al? If I'm going to be honest, I would guarantee those conversations took place. There's no doubt in my mind they did. And they just try to cover them up, obviously, because no one wants to come out. And you see what happened with John Gruden, you know, where behind the scenes, he was sending emails or something like that, and, and it got caught up, and it, it went public, and he said some things that were not politically correct, and it cost him his job. I would think that in the past, there was definitely conversations in the GMs and in people who owned the uh, – I mean, the Redskins, look how long it took to integrate the Redskins. Yeah, I mean, but you know what? If you look at uh, – the NFL is just a small microcosm of society. Mm -hmm. I mean, you – you can probably look in every element of society and you have some of the same kind of things going on, whether it's corporate America, whether it's professional sports, whether it's education, whether it's politics. I mean, it's the same kind of stuff goes on. Mm -hmm. Is it right? Is it fair? Uh, will it ever be right? Will it ever be fair? Uh, I don't know. I don't think it will be. What you have to do is you got to persevere. You got to work through it and uh, find a way to win. And that's that's what I was always taught. Find a way to win in spite of. And uh, and just just dig in. I mean, you know, you, you feel like you you don't you you've earned the opportunity and you deserve the shot, mm -hmm. but sometimes it doesn't happen. So you can't tuck your tail and, and disappear. What you got to do is you got to redirect that energy and find something else to do and go win. Well, in, in the short time that I've known you, there's one word that I believe exemplifies you, and that is a winner on the field as well as off the field. So uh, thank you, sir. Gr great comment there. Uh, Jody. how about another question? Another question. Great. Keep them coming. Keep yes. them coming, folks. Yes. Gary asks, 
Looking back at your football and work career, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Ooh. To my 20-year-old self? Yeah, that's a good one. Well, you know what? Uh, again, um, put put God first in everything that you do. Um, and continue to work hard. Just work hard. And I think that when you work hard, the, you know, victory loves preparation. I think that you'll get where you need to be. Sometimes where you want to be is not where God wants you to be. And I think that's the key. And uh, be humble and uh, respectful and uh, keep things in the middle of the road and things will happen. I think that uh, what's for you, you're going to get. Can't nobody take it away from you. And once you get it, like we're talking about this national championship, can't nobody take it away from us. They don't have to give us any love, but they can't take it away from us. That's so true. I, I guess. And again, I, and I say, if I had to do it all again, I mean, in spite of knowing what I know now, if I had to do it all again, I'd do it the same way. I mean, uh, it, it was it was challenging. And uh, my son followed in my footsteps. I think that's the ultimate compliment when your kid follows you. Mm-hmm. And he had some opportunities. He went to Stanford to, to visit. He went to Air Force. He went to Vanderbilt. Uh, and I still say he was a better quarterback than me, but I mean, uh, he had opportunities to go, but he wanted mm-hmm. to be a pharmacist. What better place to go be a pharmacist than FAMU? And then my, my wife was Miss FAMU, and uh, I think that's where all our money was going anyway. <laughs> so he was going to go to FAMU anyway, but you <laughs> cut it. you cut us, we bleed orange and green, man. And I, I think that all three of us would say it, if, if we had to do it all over again, we'd do it the same way. Ah, that's outstanding. That's it, It's got to be cool to have your son follow in your footsteps, quarterback the team that you quarterbacked. I mean, and then, I mean, you get to watch him and his career develop. That's got to be, like you said, that's the ultimate high. That's that's an unbelievable thing. Um, how about another? No, there was a comment that I saw, and I think it might have been from one of your ex-teammates. Yes, yes. I, I want to read that I want to read this. This is from one of your ex-teammates. Mark Orlando. Mark Orlando. He says, was in my first year coaching in 1978 as the RB coach at FAMU. I was a former quarterback at FSU. Albert had all the tools to be a next-level NFL quarterback. Unfortunately, we were not a passing offense. Oh, all right. There yeah, you go. And that, that's a fact. That's a fact. And Mark was uh, uh, the first year he was a running back coach on that national championship team. And he convinced Coach Hubbard to be a passing team after I left. But we could throw the football. But we were, uh, Coach Hubbard was a Woody Hayes guy. So, I mean, we were going to do it with his way and it was going to be Rudy's way. And we had success doing that. I mean, he he was comfortable with that. We bought into it. I never gave him a hard time about not throwing the ball. We played teams like Tennessee State and some other teams where we had to throw the football a little bit. But, I mean, I, I didn't throw but for a 1,000 yards uh, tops during the, the entire season. But we had two running backs who had a 1,000 yards, and I had seven 800 yards. But Oof. whatever it took to win, that's what we were doing. Right. And uh, so I don't know if I'm being if I was penalized because we didn't throw the football. Uh, I didn't showcase that. I, I'm not not sure. But I, I, again, I would do it the same way because we won the national won. championship. And Mark, Mark is absolutely correct. You well, and Benny and I were doing the research last night a little bit. And we we're looking at Rudy Hubbard and his record. And I had no I did not realize that he played for Woody Hayes for three years at Ohio State. And he was a he was a he was a coach at, at Ohio State. So yes. well, he learned from Woody, which is what three yeah. three yards in a cloud of dust, right? Three yards in a cloud of dust, yeah. So, and how about this? Rudy, Coach Hubbard was the first black coach on Woody Hayes' staff. We did not know that. 
Yes. Okay. There you and go. he recruited. He recruited Woody uh, Archie Griffin. Wow. Well, his and here's another one. Here's another black quarterback that was very successful at Ohio State, Cornelius Green, that did not play he in the NFL. Be- I remember Corny Green, number seven. I, did he play in the CFL at all? I don't remember him if he did or okay. not. But Cornelius Green, I, I I watched all his film because we ran the same offense they ran. He was a few years ahead of me, and and Coach Hubbard brought the the footage, mm-hmm. and I studied how Cornelius ran the offense, and that's the way I ran it. He was because he, he ran it to the T. I mean, he was an exciting quarterback too. He could run it, he could throw it. He had good size on him. He had a great arm. Again, because of the offense we ran, mm-hmm. he may have been penalized and didn't get that opportunity. I'm not sure what what happened to him in, after he left Ohio State yeah. in terms of playing pro football. And, and there was another. And there was another kid who played at Michigan by the name of Dennis Franklin who was an yeah. Ohio kid that went to Michigan, who was, was a f- pretty fair passer. And Schembechler actually let him throw the ball a little bit more than Woody. But uh, uh, how about we get some more questions? We do, we do. yes. Life Al, with- you're lighting it up tonight. He is. Oh, we're getting lots of we're positive getting lots of questions comments and comments. About, about Al, yes. Um, they're loving it. Life with Kyla. She asks, what are your thoughts on Jeremy Musa? Do you think he should get a shot to the next level? Ooh. Jeremy Musa is the undisputed leader of the Florida A&M football team. These guys are two games away from tying our 12-1 and record in 78. Jeremy Musa can make all the throws. He's cerebral as all get out. He can make every throw. In fact, he was throwing for one of the receivers who's, who's on the practice squad with the Rams right now last year because they didn't have a quarterback. And the, the, the scouts were oohing and on about this guy with all his arm talent. So absolutely, yes, and I hope he does. I mean, but I'm hoping he's going to be able to light this thing up on Saturday, take care of Prairie View, we go to Atlanta and we take care of Howard and win the national championship. But absolutely, he's he's got all the skills. He's a big kid, quiet kid, but I tell you what, he's the undisputed leader, and he got he has all the tools to make it to the next level. So you got Prairie View A&M this weekend. Uh, is the game on ESPN, is it nationally tele- is it televised at all that we can check it out? It is. It's going to be on ESPNU, I believe. We'll be checking that out. One of the ESPN channels, for sure. And then the winner... Four o'clock kickoff on okay. Saturday. And then the winner takes the SWAC title and, like you said, goes on to the Celebration Bowl to play Howard for a spot yeah. uh, for the Black National Championship. So Absolutely. That, that game will be played in Atlanta. And and I can I can say this about Musa because I do the color commentating. I'm on the broadcast team for FAMU. Been doing it for several years now, and I watched this kid the last two years and watch his maturation process, and uh, I like what I see. And uh, I mean, he was the preseason offensive player uh, uh, selection for offensive player of the year, mm-hmm. and of course, he actually won that on yesterday, along with Coach Simmons as head coach as the coach of the year, and then Isaiah Major is the uh, defensive player of the year. And we had like thirteen kids to make first and second team. So they got, they got a great football team, man. I think Coach Simmons is doing a tremendous job. I hope we can keep him around a little while. And people are wondering why uh, if uh, Florida A&M is in the uh, SWAC championship, you just about said it right there. Uh, before we move on to another question, I know Tony's uh, going to put up some graphics. Now, this is interesting. This is, this is the top 10. This was a list that was made up. I think I got it out of Ebony Magazine, but it was the top 10 HBCU players of all time, not necessarily quarterbacks, but HBCU players that transitioned from the college game to the NFL in their success from college in both college and in the pro game. So 
Uh, I want to kind of get your take on some of these guys. Amazing graphics. Again, I don't know how Tony dug this up at the last minute, but outdid himself with this. But maybe go down the line. Talk about a few of these guys that I know you know a lot of these guys personally. Hey, I tell you what, Jerry Rice, I mean, I don't have to say anything about him. The greatest receiver to ever play the game. Walter Payton played at Jackson State. His brother, Eddie, played with me up in Toronto. Tremendous football player. Don't have to say anything about him. Deacon Jones, I mean, uh, he was been given credit for that hand slap, but I'm telling you, you're talking about a terror on the defensive line. Art Shell, one of the best offensive linemen to ever play the game. Jackie Slater and I played in a celebrity golf tournament uh, back when uh, uh, several, several years ago. Will Lanier, I mean, he's the first black middle linebacker mm -hmm. to play the game. I talked about Ken Riley. Ken Riley is um, the epitome of talent and class. I mean, we just named the field after Ken Riley at Florida A&M. I tell you what, he's a, a tremendous guy. I'm just so sorry he wasn't here to see his induction. Mel Blunt, I mean, his son played at Florida A&M, but you're talking about one of the best cornerbacks to ever play the game. Mm -hmm. Steve McNair, man, I tell you what, the gospel truth. Big guy, big arm, and uh, super talent. And, of course, Doug, Doug's a friend of mine. He can get it done. We already know first quarterback to win the Super Bowl. And I tell you what, he probably would have done a lot earlier had Tampa Bay decided to give him that money uh, while he was down at Tampa Bay. Outstanding list. I, I I love the list too. And there was so many, I mean, and just doing the research for this show, Al, there's so many amazing black athletes coming out of HBCU schools that Hall of Famers, I think 37 total Hall of Famers. I mean, the list is crazy. The, the one thing I do want to go, and I know we have more questions. I know people are jumping out of their seats here to get questions. We're going to do that. But I looked at the from the common draft era, which was 1969-70, when the AFL and NFL merged, all the way through last year. You look, the most HBCU school players drafted were about 69 and 68 back in 1969 and 70. That's how many players are drafted. 69 in one year, 68. But it's really dwindled down to the past, like the last nine years, a total of maybe 13 players were picked. Last year, just one. Now, I definitely think that the draft going from 17 rounds to then 12 when you, you know, you know, when you, when you were senior at Florida A&M, and now there's only seven. So obviously it limits the number of players. But back then, what people have to understand, and you can talk to this, in the late 60s, early to mid-70s, a lot of these schools were just beginning integration, especially in the SEC and in the and the Southwest Conference, which is not even a conference anymore, but it's where Texas, Arkansas, and A&M played. So if you wanted to stay in the South and you were a black, not just quarterback, but a black football player, you had to go play at Michigan State, Ohio State, um, maybe USC go out West, like Jimmy Jones quarterback, uh, the Trojans, that, the famous story about... Him coming in with Sam Cunningham and playing Alabama and beating him 42-21. And, you know, I, I guess, what's the quote? One of these quotes is, Sam Cunningham did more for integration than Martin Luther King did because of what he did. I mean, that's one of these quotes that came out. What was it like? I mean, you basically really had to go to another place if you had grown up in that time. Am I am correct? No, you, you're right on point. Let's do in that window, though. Uh, there weren't many players playing at the predominantly white schools. So that's why Gremlin, Florida A&M, Morgan, and uh, some of the black schools had more guys drafted than anybody, mm -hmm. uh, it, to include Notre Dame and Southern Cal, because all the great athletes were at the black schools. Now, you know, you, you it's spread out. You know, you got integration came in. Now, today, you got the NIL. You got so many other mm -hmm. factors that play a role in that. 
And uh, so that's why it's, it's dwindled down the way it has. I mean, we still have talented kids who play black college football who are deserving of opportunities. I mean, the kids we talked about, uh, Marquise Lee, who's playing with the, the Dallas Cowboys right now and uh, other guys who played it for them. These guys have earned that opportunity. I mean, so, you know, hopefully the league will find these kids and give them opportunities, draft these kids. They, they've earned that. That draft is it's an ego thing because once you get there, plus it means it's a little change in your pocket as well. But, I mean, sure. these kids deserve that opportunity. But back then, I mean, you didn't have that many guys who were at the predominantly white school, so you didn't have the, all the black players were coming from the Gramlins and the Florida A&Ms mm-hmm. and the Prairie Views and Texas Southern where Kenny Burroughs and those guys came from Southern University. You saw all that back then. It would have been interesting to see if Deion Sanders had stayed at Jackson State because there's no doubt in my mind that his son is going to be drafted in the first round when he's draft eligible. He's got all the – I mean, I want you to talk about maybe his measurables. He's got the size. He's got the quick release. Uh, He's not a runner. He'll scramble. He reminds me a little bit of Jameis Winston. He's got a little Jameis Winston when he was at FSU in his game. And Travis Hunter, who Benny loves because he plays 132 snaps a game – um, if they stayed at Jackson State, there's no doubt in my mind they're drafted in the NFL next year. Well, I tell you what, Shadua, I watched his maturation process too. I saw him play as a freshman, and I saw him play in high school, actually, and then saw him play against FAMU as a freshman, and then watching him the last couple of years, man, I mean, he actually has matured into the position. He can extend the play, and he can pull it down and, and get 10 yards as a fresh set of downs. I yeah. mean, that's all you yeah. really want. Right. You don't need somebody to take it to the house, but, I mean, he can extend the play. He has the arm talent and obviously the, the aptitude and, and, and attitude to get it done. Mm-hmm. He's had some exposure with Tom Brady and some other quarterback coaches, and you can see that. But I'm going to tell you right now, if they don't find people to block up front, because <laughs> it all starts up front, <laughs> it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. You know what I mean? That's where it all starts, on both sides of the ball. you got to have people up front to, 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 to protect your quarterback, open the lanes for your running backs, and you got to have guys on the defensive line to push the pocket. But uh, you're right. Dion's done a tremendous yeah. job. Did a tremendous job at Jackson State. Added some zip to uh, to Jackson State's uh, football program, and he had a, a a positive light on black college football mm-hmm. prior to going to Colorado. Yeah, I was going to say I, I totally agree with you 100. Uh, percent If he doesn't get the line straightened out, it doesn't matter uh, how good he is. He's not going to get the time. And I think I think Dion and Benny and I talk about this all the time. He's going to hit the transfer portal hard. I mean, he's going on the recruiting trail. He's got the skill position players, but if you don't have anybody that can protect, run block, and get to the opposing passer, you're not going to be successful ultimately. Especially playing, you know, the teams in the Big 12. It's run and gun. So, uh, and that's where they go next year. Uh, a couple amazing, more questions. That. I think we got. Yes, we do. Okay. Um, I have a comment myself. Oh, Joni has yes, a comment. I do. I do. Interesting fact. When you threw up the top 10, I saw Jerry White Rice was on there. He was the first NFL star to appear on Dancing with the Stars. No. Season two. And he came in second. Okay. Well, yes. Joni's a big Dancing with the Stars uh, personnel. So evidently he can also, uh, he's got a little bit of dancing uh, rhythm in him and, and not he, just a football he player. So he knows well. how to dance. <laughs> I do remember that. And then I think Emmett Smith did pretty good too. Oh, but, see? Uh, yeah. Emmett, Emmett, Emmett Smith, Smith won. Yes. All right. We got any more questions? Right. So uh, a, a couple of people had a question about the buggy whip arm. What is that? The bu- Okay. Al, explain what the buggy whip arm is. The what now? The buggy whip arm. You know that buggy whip motion? Or did I make that up? 
Yeah, uh, you might have made that yeah. up last. <laughs> to me, I'd heard that expression. It's kind of like a long, long release. It's like Lamar Jackson, he's got that. I call it the buggy whip arm. It's kind of okay, okay, long, okay. and he just kind of flings it like that. That's that's the way I was always. Uh, it's been interpreted to me. So, well, I tell you what, I, I think all the guys who play the position have their own style about releasing the ball, uh, throwing the football. Now, you they, they always teach you a certain way they, they did back in the day about how you should throw the football, how you should release. But I tell you what, these guys now, when you got a guy like Patrick Mahone who throws it just about underhanded, nobody can say anything. I mean, once upon a time, the quarterback had the ball up high by his ear. Yeah. That went away when, when Peyton Manning headed down chest high. I mean, so the style of, of what is expected is based on the success of the, the, the guy who's who's getting it done in the National Football League. So, I mean, when Mahone is doing it now, I almost want to want to say that I don't want to teach young kids to do it like Mahone, <laughs> but I tell you what, he's winning with it, and you see other guys emulating him doing that because uh, the, the, the kids in college right now is doing the same thing. But Lamar Jackson has a whip for, for a gun. I mean, he can take the ball to the house anytime he wants to. Uh, you got uh, Russell Wilson, who who's a, a mechanic. He, he's real. Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? He 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 gets it done in terms of getting the ball down the field. But whatever it takes to get the ball down. I mean, I tell you who, uh, Aaron Rodgers. He's another one that throws it all kind of different ways. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what what are you going to say to these young kids? I mean, if you make the connection, throw the football, get it in the gap where it needs to be, and, and hopefully the receiver catching, you have success. Al, I just have to say the comments are like rolling across the screen as we talk. You might have got the biggest compliment I've seen. You know what it said? Al Chester for president. <laughs> hey, I'm voting you in. Hey, man, I tell you what, I, I, I really enjoyed this lesson. I tell you what, it's timely because, like I said, 45 years ago, we won the national championship. And I, I want to salute my team and, and the coaches, Coach Hubbard, and, and publicly thank them and all my teammates. I agree with you. I think that our team has earned and deserved to be saluted uh, by the, the HBCU and by anybody else because what we accomplished can never be repeated. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's probably not going to ever have another HBCU to win that Division One AA, which is now the F, uh, C, uh, FBS, FBS uh, conference now. Yeah. That, that probably won't ever happen again. So um, what we did, can nobody take it away. And I'm proud that I was given the opportunity to be the quarterback and we had the success that we did. Well, before we let you go, I, do we have any more questions for Al? There is one more question. There's one more question, Al, before we let you go. Let's hear it. From Life with Kyla. Tell us about your right guard, Tyrone McGriff. Oh, Tyrone McGriff. Oh, my right. Hey, Tyrone McGriff was the best that ever did it, man. I tell you what, he's from Gifford, Florida. He was our, our right guard. Uh, he passed away several years ago, but had a chance to the coaching, uh, after he left the Pittsburgh Steelers, he played with the Michigan Panthers in the USFL. He coached over with Doug Williams over at Gramlin and he, a couple other places. But uh, I tell you what's ironic about Tyrone. You, you're talking about a, a guy who was probably his shoulders about as wide as a Volkswagen. He was about as, uh, he, he could slam a basketball. Wow. He could run your 4740 at 265. And a uh, smart guy, strong as a bull. And a gentle giant, and I tell you what, uh, what what a tremendous football player he was a, a three-time All-American, and uh, he he was the last player drafted the year he came out, which was uh, seventy-nine, I believe, and uh, 
he got that that Lozman trophy, if you will. But he went to the, the Steelers and and jumped right in there, man, and and played right away. And uh, I tell you what, his son and my son got a chance to play together at Florida A&M. We had a lot of legacy kids that end up playing together. And uh, his son is doing some great things in Tallahassee. He's coaching over at Leon High School. His daughter is uh, also in the school system. She's a track coach, man. Great family. And uh, I tell you what, what, what a what a talent he was. Well, I, I got to tell you, this has been a treat for me. Uh, you are one incredibly impressive person. Uh, you are, Like Al. I said, very. I, 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 Benny, attitude. Benny, uh, we, we got to have Al back. We, we've got to have him back to talk about Everybody the, uh, should have his attitude about life. And I agree. The world would be a lot better place, I'll tell you. I couldn't have said he it better. Got a lot of great uh, ideas and, and his, his thoughts on life are right on. Right on. Yeah, right on. Hey, well, I thank you guys for giving me the opportunity, man. It's been a it's been a great day, man. Well, and listen, uh, I'm glad we got to hook up. I'm thankful for Vince for getting us together. Again, I, I would really love to have you come on at a later date and talk college football playoffs with us because I think you'd be the perfect guy to do it, especially uh, you know examining the quarterback play. And I wish you and the Rattlers all the success this week. Go Florida A and M. Go, go Rattlers. Prayer review A and M. Go to the Celebration Bowl and take it home. So, Al, I want to thank you so very much. It's been a privilege and an honor, and I look forward to having you on again soon. Call me, Les. You guys take care. Be safe. Uh, again, special thanks to Al. He was great. Uh, just amazing. Let's bring in uh, Benny and, uh, and and just kind of rehash a little bit of this. What an impressive person, Benny. Impressive person. He really was. I He's love his stories. I mean, it was awesome. You know, he's accomplished. He, he has such a great outlook on life. You know, uh, he, he was a guy that he probably should have got a shot. I'm sure he was hurt, mm -hmm. but uh, that didn't let him. He became a successful individual in life. And, you know, he's 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 got all the right uh, views. He got all, he really does. The funny thing I is, vote, I actually I really vote, do remember. I would, I, I would vote for him for president. Well, I don't know. Maybe it we should. Could, and, couldn't hurt. Couldn't no, hurt. It couldn't hurt. It couldn't hurt. Couldn't hurt. I, I, okay. That, that's so. We got three. We got three for Al, Al for president. But before I even go to the picks, and and I do want to say this, and I know he touched on it briefly, and and, and I want to talk about it. That it's it's a travesty that the Florida A and M football team in 1978, Al is the quarterback and the coach Rudy Hubbard are not enshrined in the Black Football Hall of Fame. They're not. And yeah, I think that probably, they deserve the greatest accomplishment it, uh, in in H HBS. It, it is. It, it's the know. best team accomplishment in HBCU history. The first black school to win a national championship on the field. Yeah. And it was 45 years ago, as Al said, and it's never been done since. And the way the setup is with the FCS and uh, the HBCU schools contractually obligated to play each other in the celebration bowl and things, it probably won't happen again either. So, uh, just a shout out to the Black College Football Hall of Fame, whoever's running that. Uh, I think it's right. I think it's due time. Put in Florida A&M, put in Al Chester as the quarterback, and put in legendary coach Rudy Hubbard. All right. I'm done with that now. I'm not going to speak upon that, but listen to me. That's what should be done. Welcome back to Swartz Talking Sports. I'm Les Swartz. Again, outstanding show today. I got so many people to thank. First of all, all the people out there that have watched the show and, and contribute to the show and continue to support the show. I want to thank you all very, very much for the many comments, the great questions out there. Uh, really, 
kudos. You guys did you you guys did it tonight. You made the show successful. Again, special thanks to Al Chester. Outstanding job. We uh, wish Florida AM well this week against Prairie View AM. And again, Tony will be running a link in the comment section for best sports movie. We're going to be running this up until mid-December. I'll come up with a date. We've got a special show. I'm not going to tease anybody with it yet. We'll be doing it in little drips and drabs in the next couple of shows, but we've got a biggie plan for the end of the year, and everyone out there is going to love it. So please vote on Best Sports Movie. We're down to our final four. Again, special thanks, Al Chester. Special thanks, Benny, for coming on for the entire show. Joni, the chat girl, and my producer, Tony. Thank you so much. This is Les Swartz, Swartz Talking Sports. Have a great week, everybody.